Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. How you doing? Happy Sunday! Uh, if you have a Bible, could you turn to the Gospel of Luke? Luke and chapter 15. Uh, today we're going to start a brand new series entitled On This Rock. And Tim teed it up brilliantly last week when he uh, basically said... For those of you who are astute, you'll remember the connection in the word rock between the penultimate series that we did, Water from the Rock, where we talked about that beautiful picture that the Bible gives us, that Jesus at the cross and the resurrection poured out, not just blood and water physically, but it was a moment where the Spirit was finally given to planet Earth in its fullest measure. And so today we want to sort of continue with that beautiful metaphor ringing in our ears and As we look at this series, in essence, as Peter declared, you are the Christ, and Jesus says, on this rock of truth, I'm going to build my church. We want to say, yeah, let's be a people who are mindful of the cornerstone, foundational truths that we as a church really want to emphasize. Our values, our vision, who God calls his church to be. And I, I do actually think this is a really timely season. Um, particularly as the church in the West is, I think, shaken a little bit. Um, The things that we assumed church should be and church leaders should be has definitely been shaken over these past few years, particularly in America. So we want to come back to the glorious basics of really what the Bible says we should build on. And today, therefore, uh, we had no other option. I'm sorry. If you know any of us who've been around for a while... We had to start with the central value and truth of grace. Grace. And when we say that, we're not talking about the little polite you know, thing you say before you have your dinner or your cornflakes. Um, we are talking about really a mega theme of the Bible. If you're new to Christianity, um, it's easy to think Christianity is about a lot of different things that actually it's not. It's really, centrally, I would argue, about this astonishing truth of God's kindness to undeserving people. God's kindness to undeserving people. Can we even say that together after three? One, two, three. God's kindness to undeserving people. I would argue that this theme is is a bit of a, a mega theme of the Bible. Past tense, present tense, future tense. The Bible repeatedly says... The way you've got to understand what it is to be a a Christian is past tense, through grace. How did you become a Christian? Oh, Ephesians tells us, by grace you have had faith. It's not you working things out, ultimately, it's, it's God's grace. It was past tense at work. Present tense, it is at work. The power, every day, where you make decisions to follow Christ, the Bible tells us, is by grace. And the Bible says, future tense, the grace of God is going to carry you, hallelujah, 
until that day when either your heart stops beating, your lungs stop working, and you go into eternity through death, or Christ returns. It's, it's everywhere, but it's not just really prevalent. I would argue that understanding, and not just understanding it, but kind of really living in this idea of grace is central for really almost everything that you might want to do as a Christian. If you want to worship God, if you want to pray more, if you want to give more, if you want to forgive people who have hurt you. How do you do it, Tom? I would say, you remember one thing from the sermon, all roads lead to grace, actually. Grace is like this sort of nuclear power station of, of energy when you really understand God's kindness to undeserving people, when that really gets into your, into your bones and you see yourself as someone who's undeserving and yet this recipient of God's kindness, it really does change you. What is going on with this microphone? I need God's grace. I don't know why I can't use this thing. Shall I just use the thing? What do you think? I'm, I tend to be quite enthusiastic. Maybe that's what it is. I can't cope with my energy. <laughs> breaking, breaking. Um, that's why I, I sit down to try and calm myself down. And then I'll, I'll launch at the end. But So God's grace is you can't do the things, you know. If, if you try and give and it's from duty, God's like, ah, you're not a cheerful giver. You're a stingy giver. I don't, I don't care about your giving. I want it to come from a cheerful place. So grace is vital, friends. And I think when I first think about grace, God's kindness to undeserving people, at a surface level, I think, oh, yeah, bravo. I like that. God's kind. Sounds nice, right? We sort of think, of course. But when you really think more deeply about that idea, I would actually say I've noticed I can have a somewhat, a somewhat more complex reaction to God's kindness to really undeserving people. I can actually have a bit of a strange relationship with God's grace to undeserving people. For example, there's a story I've often taught on or thought about where Abraham, who's our great, you know, our great spiritual father, who we think of, yay, Abraham. But there's a story where he repeatedly lets his wife be offered up for like a, sexual, um, a sexually abusive situation. It's, it's really stomach-churning. But what really shocks me is that he is still considered, despite that and ongoingly, he's described as a friend of God. This guy who does something so oh, awful, it's not that God then breaks relationship with him. I mean, God certainly doesn't condone it. But God's kindness to an undeserving person sounds great in theory. But when you start to think of really undeserving people getting really extraordinary grace, maybe it's just me or anyone else here start to feel this sort of strange, ooh, what about justice? What about needing to make right decisions, right? How does this work? Does that mean I, it doesn't matter what I do? Oh, I'm confused already. We're two minutes in. So I think if you actually think about it, most of us, we talk about grace. We love the idea of grace. But honestly, if you're someone who likes to work hard and, you know, uh, make good decisions and apply wisdom, which are not bad, probably you struggle with it maybe slightly more than you realize. And yet, remember the point I said a moment ago, it's not only everywhere in the Bible, 
I would say, unless you, you, we really get this into us, I don't think we can grow in all of the things that God wants us to grow in. So there's this beautiful tension, this conundrum. How do we grow, therefore, in understanding God's grace, but, but growing in letting it really change us? And I'm encouraged to say that there is a famous story in the Bible where someone else has a strange relationship to grace. He's the older brother in a rather famous parable story that Jesus tells us in Luke 15. And Sarah's going to come up and read it for us. If that's okay, great. That's you. <laughs> Off the screen, however you like. And then we'll get into groups and we'll discuss it. This is a, a famous story. There's kind of two acts to it. Acts one is about the obviously sinful younger brother. But I want us to, if anything, lean slightly into act two, as it were, the interesting reaction the older brother has and what that tells us about um, grace and how we often respond to it when we see it on display. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called him. <laughs> Just a quick little thunderstorm. Um, okay, so where were we? Oh, yes. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. <laughs> your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Wow. Thank you so much, Sarah. Beautifully read. Okay, so we're going to get into groups. Maybe you guys could be a group on here, you guys in the middle, you guys on my right, your left, and then the back group. You know the questions. Take your pick. What does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about people? I would suggest you focus on verses uh, from 25 to the end, i.e. kind of act two, the focus is on the elder brother. Go for it. Oh, great. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, as is often the case, you guys are already, like, obviously seeing and drawing out what I think Jesus wanted us to remember. Um, notice one thing um, that's, that's obvious, or well, it's important, Right at the beginning of this chapter, the context is now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's really important. The context of why these three parables come is is this sort of judgment that's happening. These self-righteous, moral people are watching Jesus hang out with those tax collector traitors and the sinners, i.e. probably prostitutes and women of ill repute, that kind of thing. And the context is Jesus then starts to talk about grace. Just remember that. I want to look at three questions. Number one, what is going on here? Number two, what is really going on here? And then number three, what can we do to respond to this? So the first thing I just want to ask ourselves as we look at this, at this amazing story, particularly the act, the act two bit about the elder brother, is, is kind of just to picture the scene a little bit more in our minds. Just walk, let, let me walk through the verses and make a few comments. Verse 25. So act one is dramatic. Act one is uh, this wild son goes off, comes to his senses, you know, when he's covered in pig poo, what am I doing here? I need to be back. And he goes back and he's humbled. You know, he's prepared to not even be called the son anymore. And his, da- his dad's flamboyant response, we've all commented on, he runs to his son, he's undignified. And there's this sort of celebration moment where they're tucking into the, into the, into the food. And it's, you know, it's just a wonderful, boom, let's get this party started moment. And then the scene changes. Verse 25. Meanwhile... The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And immediately, the, Jesus is so brilliant. He's such a brilliant storyteller. You can just feel, you kind of know what's going to potentially happen. There he is. That I always imagine the older son sort of covered in a bit of dirt, you know, sort of toiling in his muscle vest. You know, he's just been working all day. The hero in his head, you know, a high work ethic. And there he is really tired and he's coming and and weirdly there's this noise of like you know pumping music uh, as he comes down towards his house which is very strange and look at his reaction so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on 
Notice he doesn't run to the party. That's very interesting. That reminds me of someone else I know called Tom Shaw, who, when I have worked really hard for something, doesn't matter what it is, and everyone else is just enjoying themselves and having a wonderful time, <laughs> I can be like, oh, so pleased. You know, I'm, there's that sense of like, irritation before I can just the music is irritating I don't even know what's going on I am not in the mood to just celebrate okay that's the feel of this older brother and so he calls one of his services hey <laughs> hi there Jim what's happening what's happening in the house I can hear this music and the servant without any sense or awareness of the bombs he's about to drop check this out mr. without guile captain insensitive he's like your brother has come <laughs> You know, the one you hate. He's come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So you can just imagine, you know, the sweaty, hardworking older brother. These two massive bombs go off. Bomb number one, your brother. I don't know, but I think we're meant to almost feel this sense of irritation. Your brother, the one that was very aware of his own desires years ago, very in contact with his sense of self, and just outrageously took all of the family's, half of the family's inheritance, and left, leaving you, older brother, to have to work the farm, carry all the responsibility, as he just went off and blew it. That brother, he's back. And I almost imagine the older brother's heart sinking. He's just like... No, that guy, I've, you know, I've, I've not processed what he did to me and our family, and he's back. And then look at this line, and the servant says, and your father has killed. And I wonder what he might have thought uh, at that moment. Maybe he thought he was going to say, and your father has killed him. <laughs> <laughs> and he might be, yes, he might have been happy until that moment. Or, you know, he's taken him aside, and he is fuming at this irritating brat of a younger boy who has no work ethic he's a lazy like you know benefit stealing kind of guy you know but no unbelievably he says not only is he back how's your dad responded he's killed the fattened calf can i have a gasp one two three that's so good we're a theater group now, I know we go, oh, what does that mean? Big fat calf, so what? Well, actually, apparently, in those days, they never ate meat. It was just far too expensive. If they did, it might occasionally be a goat. The only time they would ever eat fattened calf was like these once-in-a-lifetime moments, maybe a wedding, something of that, that importance. It wasn't like a, a weekly thing. It wasn't like having a Sunday roast. It was this extraordinarily expensive moment and it would always mean the whole village was called. It was never something you just did as a family. So implicit in the picture is this is a very public moment. Everyone is pumping away, dancing away, scoffing their face with the fattened calf. And then there's this exhausted, hardworking older brother coming into this moment. And so verse 28, understandably, it says the older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But his, he answered his father, look. He doesn't call him dad. Just look. I don't know what your dad's like, but that 
that wouldn't have gone down well in my family. Me just, you're my equal is what he's saying. There's this other thing happening in this good golden boy. The golden boy persona is breaking down. Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. Interesting words, slaving. Slaving, what? I thought we were working together, son. The real heart comes out. I've been slaving for you. And I have never disobeyed your orders. And this is strange language for a son, right? To this kind of dad that we're coming to know. You ne and you never even gave me a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, look at this, son of yours. Not my brother. Interesting language, this son of yours. He's disowned them. Has come back. Has squandered your property with prostitutes. When he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So first thing here, I just want us to feel something of what's happening. This is an extraordinarily vivid story that Jesus is telling. And remember who's listening. The moral people who, tell, who say the way you approach God is by trying hard, right? So we have this moment where, like, he has a reaction that I identify with. I, in my actual family, I wasn't the oldest, but I felt like the oldest. Honestly, I won't, you know, air my dirty laundry in public, but I tell you what, other family members who I adore, they certainly seem to be a little wild and in contact with that part of them that could just do what they want and to heck with the consequences, right? I grew up feeling like I have to hold everything together. Even as a young boy, we used to drive through the night to go to holiday from one part of England to the next. And even as a young boy, I would stay awake with whoever my mum was driving. And every few minutes, I'd be like, are you still awake? Are you okay, mum? you awake? But I felt so responsible, right? I was the little boy. And many of you here probably, I actually, I, I carry some of that energy. I carry some of that sense of like, it, I, you know, when I hear about God's kindness to Abraham, I don't feel that great about it, if I'm honest. When I see people in my life who are genuinely annoying and don't work hard and don't care and they just do what they want, and I see God's grace on them, that makes me very confused slash angry. Anyone here dare to identify with me and this guy here? Two of us. Many of us. So we feel this. And it's exhausting being like the older brother, right? When you feel like that's, that's how I relate to God is I have to do things to, to keep this thing together. So first thing that's going on here is that there is this um, very understandable outrage that we're going to feel. You're going to read this, and part of you should go, yeah, I, d I don't blame the older brother for being like how he was. But the second thing that's really interesting when you look at this again is there's something even deeper going on. There's another character that I think Jesus wants you to be even more aware of, not just the older brother and his relationship with this grace that's happening, this kind of confused anger that's coming up when he sees grace he doesn't go great i love the way that sanctuary is gracious tries to be great it's it, you know he has this angry this frustration this sense of this is wrong um what we also see though at a deeper level point two what's really going on is is another figure that you started to mention in this story 
Not just the older son, but the father. The father, look how the father responds, verse 31, to this, this older brother who's having a very understandable relation, relation or reaction to seeing grace to those who don't deserve it. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So we see this other character, this beautiful father figure who is in essence, he's all about relationship. That's all he seems to really care about, right? If you think about the story, right at the beginning, his son comes to him and outrageously says, can I, can I just have all your money, dad, as if you're dead? I mean, even I wouldn't do that, you know, with my prayer. Like, can I, can I just, can I just, can we just fast forward to your death and I have the money thing? I mean, it's so awful. But the dad responds by giving it to him. It's just, son, okay, I love you. That's really offensive and hurts me. But I'm going to still just, I want to bless you. And then we know how the father reacts and responds when he sees the, the younger son far off, right? And he's coming. How does the father respond? He's on his feet and he's running, which most of us know that Middle Eastern men never do. You have dignity. You might have welcomed him when he got there. You don't run to him like a child. But the father's already done that. And then he's like, that's not enough. Let's, let's kill the fattened calf. And this guy's just like, this dad, this dad is so kind. He's just busting every, every stereotype that the onlooking serious Pharisees would have had. He's like, do you know what? I'm not just going to forgive you. Let's go crazy and kill the fattened calf. And let's invite the whole village and let's just go for it. Crank up. Let's blow the speakers on the Yamaha. Let's do it. Let's, let's really celebrate that my son, who was a nightmare, has come back. And then even when the older brother is like outside having, you know, like a hissy fit, he's being passive aggressive. If one of my girls is passive aggressive and is irritated and having a tantrum, I just ignore them. I let them stay in their bedroom, right? Any parents here? You know, that's a great tactic. Ignore the passive aggression. Ignore their kind of tantrum. But the dad doesn't. He comes out, and it's like he's like, son. Son, what are you doing? It's almost like I can imagine the father's like, who, who are you? What are you... What's going on? Why are you out here when your brother, my son, he's back? This is undoubtedly the dad's greatest day of his life. But the older brother is unable to enter into the joy of the father. Because all he really cares about is stuff. This is huge. We know the younger brother is all about stuff, right? Dad, give me the stuff, and then I, I don't really care about you. I'm just going to go and blow it. But here's the twist. What we're seeing in this moment, why is he so angry? Why is he so fuming? Because actually, he can just see the dollar signs as that fattened calf is burnt. He can just see his inheritance going up in flames. And that fills his heart. It's like he can't even see the face of his father. His father's like, son, this is a Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this is the greatest moment of our family. He's back. And I want to shout it from the rooftops. And all you can think about is money, is, is, this, is this 
material thing. This is, this is extraordinary. We see these two characters here. We see the father who is all about relationship. The Christian God. He's like, I don't care about my flipping inheritance. He says here, you always have me and everything I have is your son. What kind of dad is this? This is, he's amazing. I don't care. Take my robe, son, if you need it. If you need some confirmation that I care for you as much as him, take whatever you want now. I don't care about things. I just want you. Even when you're a nightmare, I want you. That's what's, that's what's screaming through here. We see this incredible picture of a father who is so kind and an older brother who is literally saying, basically, through his reaction, he's saying, you know, relationship with you isn't enough. It's not enough. He's actually saying, oh, I am entitled to more. He's saying, I have made an unconscious agreement with you, O oh Father, that I will work for you and appear loving when really I'm working for you, not for love, but for self-love so that you will give me what I deserve. He is as much using the father as the younger son. The younger son was direct and blatant. The older son, why is he so fuming over a fattened calf? He's fuming because he has made an agreement with God I will be the good boy for you, God, as long as you give me the good life. As, you, as long as you, you know, relationship with you is not enough. The father's like, you, you always have me. Son, why are you caring about a, a bit of beef burger? You have me. Can you feel like the heartbreak of the father when his son's like using heart is exposed? <sighs> the tragedy in this is I totally see myself in this. I see myself when I think about this guy. And you know, this is, it's actually almost like, I mean, I know this isn't, it's almost like us standing at Calvary with Jesus naked, ashamed, carrying our shame, alone, dying on the cross, and us saying, I need more. I kind of need more. Hurry up. Yeah, I know you're dying for me to give me relationship with you, which for you is the highest glorious good. Reconciliation with you. It's what I'm dying for. It's all about relationship with you. And it's just like we're standing there going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's great, Jesus. Can you hurry up and die so you can just give me some more stuff? Yeah, relationship's fine. It's all right, yeah. I really want you because then you give me stuff. Oh. <sighs> Man, isn't it true? And he sees it. And it's to him it's so obvious. And in this moment, what was already there is just clear in that moment. And I see I've seen it this year, the last few years, so many times. You know, the last few years have been hard for many of us. I remember us as a family, we were desperate for this one thing that we thought would help us. And we were trying to get this thing and trying and trying and trying. And it was involving a huge amount of energy and work. And God just wouldn't, this thing just kept on not happening. And then uh, some friends heard about it and thought, oh, that sounds like a good thing. And they, they kind of applied to do this thing. I'm trying to be vaguely vague. And immediately got this thing. 
without even trying. And I remember feeling like, God, what are you doing? We've moved 6,000 miles. We've left everything. And we're asking for this tiny little thing that might make our family life a bit better. Why can't you give it to us? You owe me, was what was in my heart. You owe me. I'm the giver. That's what's coming out of him. I'm the giver. I'm, you owe me. Your relationship with me is not enough, Jesus. You are the person that gives me what I need in addition to the relationship that you gave everything for. And what's amazing is this older brother, how different he is to the true older brother, Jesus. He's the, the, the Bible tells us he's the firstborn of many brothers. He's the true older brother. Think about Jesus. How different Je- the Jesus, who, who with his father, before eternity, thought about the father's plan to make a way, not for just for one prodigal, but for billions. And his father will say, hey, son, I've got this idea to, to make a way for so many to come home. And you, for Jesus, we know all he cared about was his father. That's all he cared about. Relationship with my father. Jesus, it says, there's nothing about him physically that would attract us to him. Plain looking, didn't have beauty, didn't have a wife, didn't have kids, didn't have a house, didn't even have friends who were loyal. Nothing. And yet Jesus' gaze was just on the father. You can imagine the father like, hey, son, I've got this, this idea that we're going to make a way to welcome back so many of those evil people into our presence. And the son being, okay, great, what's the plan? The father's like, well, it's going to cost a lot more than a fattened calf. It's going to actually cost your life. You hanging on a cross for hours, naked, ashamed, alone, betrayed. And Jesus being like, wow, that's... I'm not really sure that's my will, (laughs) but I love you and all I need is you, Father. All I need is the Father's gaze on my life. That's that's my true north. So let's do it. Because I I just want relationship with Sarah and Emily and and Mike and and Jamie and Matt. I I just want every, I just, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. So we find what's really going on here is this extraordinary contrast between the totally understandable response of the son, of the older son who is angry. But when I look at it, I I can't help but kind of almost feel this sorrow. Sorrow in the father. When he looks at his son who who actually, as it says here, "You, you always are with me. And that sorrow, even over Tom, to be honest with you, when at times, you know, I say relationship is all, all, all I need. Your love is better than life. But I tell you, when I see God's grace to those who don't deserve it, an entitlement rears up in me. And actually, I still have tremendous relationship, immovable relationship, indestructible relationship with the Father. But something in me in that moment when I see that person apparently blessed in a way that I'm not, something in me is so tempted to say, 
the injustice of that grace. I hate your grace. I don't want your grace. I just want your grace towards me. And all the time, our Father's like, don't you understand? Don't you understand, Tom? You have me. You have everything. If you have Jesus, you have it all. Amen? The gospel of, uh, the gospel of grace is a gospel that says, in this life, you get Jesus. You may get some blessings wonderfully, but what you get is Jesus. And that isn't a disappointment. Amen? You get the Father. You get relationship. We get relationship with the Father for eternity. And what I love about this, and with this we'll finish, is how does, how does the story end? Now, weirdly, it just stops dead. It's this kind of cliffhanger moment where you're like, what? Like, what did he do? What did he, ah, what did he do? We don't know what the son did. But the implied, the implied what, what do we do? You know, when we see ourselves as those older brothers. Well, there's one incredibly obvious, glorious application to all of this. Get your butt into the party, Tom. Amen? When you are tempted to, you know, you come across some younger brother moment. You know, someone else who's blessed. And you're like, really? You're getting that incredible blessing? I know you. You know, and we're tempted in that moment to feel like resentment towards the grace of God. Man, in that moment, we're called to be those who choose to enter the party. We choose to say, I am not a victim. I choose to break that lie that in that moment is trying to say, oh, all of God's blessing has gone there and there's not enough for you, Tom. That lie that robs us of joy. And gets me back into demanding, consumeristic, serious Tom that can't celebrate. One of the truest marks of our spiritual health is how can we celebrate with people when they are blessed? How do we, do, do we find this ability to generally be able to enter into people's blessings, particularly in areas that you want that blessing, right? And I know it's hard. God knows that we have those desires. He's not a, he's not a monster, he gets it. But the true north of this, the real place of, the true north of where is grace, grace is in the, is in the face of the Father. Oh, yeah, I do want that fat and calf. I really do want that thing. It's kind of juicy. You know, I want that thing in my life and I'm made to want it. And he knows that. But the hope that's implied here is amazing. He dares to say, relationship with the Father is the truest, most extravagant moment and place of grace that you could ever know. And Jesus lived it. He had nothing. And he died in the prime of his life as a young man. But he never was like, oh, I, yeah, Father's pretty good, but really I wanted a great wife and a, and a great security financially and a, and a 401k. Jesus was just like, I have my Father, I have everything. That's grace. When we talk about grace, it's not so much a concept, it's, it's a face. Grace is about knowing our Father evermore. That's why the Apostle Paul, who had the, the successful life that he did, and yet ended up alone, dying, betrayed, in a prison cell, was singing at the top of his lungs, almost drunk in the Holy Spirit, because he knew his Father. Father, I have nothing. You haven't given me any of the things that I probably wanted. And yet you've given me yourself. And he knew it in his heart. Amen? This is, this is God's intention for you. Now I know it's, it's like, oh, I, I kind of want those fat and calf things. And he's not, 
I don't want to scare us that he's going to strip you of the desires of your heart. I get that. But the true gospel that doesn't always get preached in the West is that Jesus really is the promise. And he really, really, really is enough. It's not like, oh, okay, I get Jesus. Get Calvary, him dying. Yeah, great. What about the stuff? No, no, no. No, we get Jesus. We get a God who is perfectly orchestrating your life, even today, when you're just sitting on a chair. He's hard at work planning your life so that everything is coming together so that you would more and more and more and more know him and taste and see that the Lord is good, not just think and agree with, to taste it, to see it. His great intention is to, is to bend everything so that you can more and more enjoy the party. I was talking to a friend of mine who's such a godly guy. And uh, he's 70. And he's one of the most joyful, kind, older men I've ever known. And tragically, a few years ago, his daughter, age 30, uh, had cancer. And within six weeks, she was dead. She had two little kids. It was horrendous. I remember calling him a year afterwards and thinking, this guy's going to be a mess. And he, obviously, it was the most awful thing he's ever walked through. But he, I said to him, Goff, how are you still, like, standing? And he said, we sing a lot. We sing a lot as a, as a married couple. I remember you sing. What? You sing? Yeah, we sang about the kindness of God that we had 30 years with Ali. We didn't deserve that. She was a little angel. And we'll be with her again soon. We sing, we join the party. We don't allow our flesh, which screams entitlement. It's just like, I, I'm not entitled to, to a lifetime with Ali. I want it. <laughs> it's been agony. But we sing. We choose to sing. Sing is warfare. That's why we worship. We choose to enter the party even when there's those younger brother moments in our lives that want to just drag us into resentment and, and just, I can't enjoy the grace of God. Yes, yes, we can. He's stronger. We enter the party also, I want to say this as I finish, with the Father's face in mind. I mean, I don't know what would have happened because Jesus didn't, he finished the story there, but I can imagine, just imagine the older grumpy brother, Tom, you know, the father says, come on, son, you're coming in. He's like, Bleh. all right, I suppose I still do have you and you're pretty darn amazing, dad. I wanted that big calf, but I've got you. Imagine he made that decision, right, to get grace. Like material stuff comes and goes, but I get you. I have a father who loves me, who's never giving up on me. Even when I'm as ugly as my younger son right now. Even when I'm throwing my toys out the pram and saying, you owe me, father. Yes, I have your relationship, but that's not enough. I, I need more from you. Even at our ugliest moments like that, which are so shame-bringing, he would never have shamed him. I think the father would have said, well done, son. Come on. And scruffed his hair up. He said, oh, here's old grumpy grumpy man and got into the party with him and poured him a wine or a beer and said well done let's focus on the relationship you have I think he would have done that and I want to say that for each of us this is the point of this message is so we can see where we stumble but so we can live in the light of the kindness of our father who says well done 
well done when you choose to say that hurts i mean i get this i get that pain i think the son really felt hurt and i get it i've felt like this thousands of times and i think the far, i think the story honors that it doesn't dismiss it but it says you can't stay there if grace grace has to lead you home has to lead us home but it, it's this strange skill this dance we have to learn the way it works but the truest only real place i can say that grace promises it doesn't promise you the good life it, but it promises you the good father and that's not a kind of disappointment it's it's everything i love the words of this song and we're actually going to sing it so um, i don't know if Joni. And Amanda, <laughs> uh, if you could stop feeding your child, if that's okay. Um, no, Joni can lead us, I'm sure. I love this song. Um, we're going to respond. Um, you probably know the words of this song, and then we're going to sing it. I'm going to read it over us, and then we're going to sing it. But it's real. It's this old song talking about our relationship with grace. It's a, it's a strange relationship where we get annoyed and frustrated often when we see it. But this is the thing, when you feel that, that reaction, that frustration, that anger, the key that God's saying is, listen, acknowledge it, but let God lead you through that, back to the face of God, back to the true place where we're, we're not actually victims. I can celebrate that person's moment of grace and realize, oh no, Father, I have you and I trust you and maybe you're going to give me 10 fattened calves in the goodness of God or certainly in life to come. These words, come thou fount of every blessing. Look at this. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it, the mount of thy redeeming love. So here I raise my Ebenezer. Here, by thy great help, I've come. And I hope, by thy good pleasure, safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. And oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, clothed then in blood, washed linen, how I will sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry, take my ransomed soul away, send thine angels now to carry me to realms of endless days. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Shall we stand to our feet? And just as we get ready to sing this final song, I just want to leave just a few moments between you and the Lord. And we're going to break bread and Emily's going to lead us through that in a, in a moment after a, maybe a verse or two. 
But if you just feel like now even the Lord has just honestly put his finger on a fattened calf for you, right? There's just something that you feel should have been yours. Something that you felt entitled to. It could be some area of your life. A kind of relationship to be a certain way. It could be respect that you feel like you're due in your workplace or in your marriage or in your life. It could be a sense of control that I'm due, right? I, I should have that God because I've been a good boy, a good girl. Or a sense of power or a sense of approval. There's so many things that we can unconsciously expect and feel entitled to and say, Lord, remember the deal I made with you. I'll be good as long as you give me these things. So right now, you want to just close your eyes and if there's just anything you want to repent of, you just want to turn from kind of holding too tightly and just give it to the Lord, knowing He, he gets it. Probably all those things that we, we're tempted to, to demand are probably okay and good. But when it means that we become honestly just frustrated when God doesn't give them to us, we, we can feel ourselves slipping into that elder brother energy. And the grace of God, the grace of God is here today to help us grow in giving that to him and trusting his goodness. So right now, just take a moment or two if there's anything you want to give to your father and just say, Father, you know, in your own words, Lord, I, I recognize this thing. I do want it, but I recognize I want to surrender this to you so my relationship with you is restored again and again. Thank you, God.